right. We want him to fill our hearts with the praise that only he can fill it with. God is our friend. Isn't that awesome? And as we begin the next song, we want you to turn and make a new friend here. We want you to introduce yourself and just greet each other around the auditorium today. We are so honored to have you here with us. the one that created everything, calls us his friend. Friend's a really special term, and I'm so glad we're able to do that. Can I have a seat as we continue, please?
want to continue a little bit of celebrating what we did last week with the Ecuador Sunday. Um, we weren't able to get everybody in to give their little testimonies of, of what God did in their lives that week. And um, it was so such an exciting time for us to see our teams just take the ball and just really run with what God had given them to do that week. And so we have a couple other testimonies today that we want to just share with you and um, just encourage you and thank you and, and um, for your support and prayer. So Nicole, come on up. Nicole Seibel is going to start us out here this morning. Hi, my name is Nicole. Um, this is my third year going on an Ecuador trip. And um, at first, I didn't know if God was leading me to go. Um, I wasn't sure if, if I should. And then um, one Sunday, Dane was talking about it, and um, I decided that um, God w was leading me to go. And um, so um, right here... Um, uh, we were at the orphanage, and um, this is Bree and I, um, and this little girl, we were helping her with a craft, and um, she just seemed um, so interested in the craft, and she just worked with it, and it was really cool to see um, to see her doing that, and can you go to the next, next picture, please? Um, this is um, one of the translators, Mary Grace. Um, I was able to reunite with her this year, and... Um, can you go to the next picture, please? Um, we were we went to um, a school, and um, Dane divided us up into groups, and um, each group went to a different classroom. Um, so we we did some um, games with the kids, teaching them English, and I suggested writing John three sixteen on the board, and um, I wrote it down. I said the verse, and they repeated it after me. And um, Chris was about to erase it, but then the kids told her not to um, because they were writing it down in their notebooks. And um, it was cool to see how um, how well they how much they really wanted to um, hear what we had to say. And um, uh, at the school, there were picnic tables li lined up, and at each picnic table, we had two people from our group um, sit at each one and then the Ecuadorians kind of filled in the spaces. Um, the first time we did it with high schoolers, the second time we did it with middle schoolers. And um, this right here is a picture of um, me and Caitlin Parrish um, with uh, two high schoolers. And um, I shared with them the wordless book. It was my first time doing it, and I was really nervous, um, but they had already known it. They have already accepted Christ. Um, and the second time we did it with the um, middle schoolers, and we told them about the wordless book, um, shared with them the colors, and then um, Caitlin prayed with them, and they accepted Christ as their personal Savior. Um, can you go to the next picture, please? This is a picture of me with um, some of the kids from the VBS. Uh, these three girls clung to me, and... Um, um, I was doing crafts with the parish family, um, and I was demonstrating a craft um, to, to the kids. Uh, it was my first time doing it as well, and I was nervous, but um, they went right to work as soon as they knew what to do, and we helped them, and um, it was really cool to see how interested they were in it. Can you go to the next picture, please? Oh, it's done. Okay. Um, thank you so much for your financial and prayer support. Thank you so much. Hi, my name is Leslie Finney. Um, this was my first missions trip to Ecuador. At first, I was a little nervous because I haven't been on a missions trip without my parents, so I was a little nervous. But um, through our leader, Courtney, and the girls behind me, we really prayed together and met together, and uh, I felt the Lord leading me to go, so I went. And um, it was really cool on this missions trip because we got to work as students, and we got to do most of the work. And it helped me have a better outlook on life and a better attitude when I came back. And uh, Dane one day asked me at the school if I could give my testimony, and I was really nervous, but 
it helped me get out of my comfort zone and it helped me know that the Lord was with me. And I just want to thank you for your prayers and your support for sending me and the team. Thanks. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, young ladies. Boy, they, were, they did a great job down there in Ecuador. We're really proud of them. Please reach in the book rack this morning right there in front of you and find one of our little black folders. When you find it, please put your name on it, sign up, and give it to somebody sitting next to you. We appreciate that every, every week. You know, we're ready to turn the page over to August. Uh, this summer is flying by. Uh, but I want to thank you most of all for your prayers because we feel like in the church we're riding a wave of prayer this summer. God is just blessing us, taking care of us, watching over us. And uh, I want you to stay strong in prayer all the way to the end of August. And uh, if you haven't joined our prayer team, there's this little prayer list that we publish each week in our Sunday Courier. And I look at it five days a week at home, and I go over each one of those items. I pray for you uh, as you're out traveling. Now, today we have a lot of missionaries from our church. They're out traveling. They're missionizing in uh, Nags Head, North Carolina, Hilton Head, Myrtle Beach. Uh, I try to plant the seed every year in the minds of our people. Yeah, you can go on vacation, but boy, I'll tell you, make sure it's a vacation for God. Make sure that God is in the center of it. Because it's amazing what God can do for you as you travel. And so I'm praying that's, uh, that's on the prayer list. Lord, help us to be your ambassadors as we travel. And so I'm praying for all of our people today that are out running around having their vacation. Uh, several weeks ago I said uh, that our financial year comes to an end, the end of June. We start a new one the 1st of July. And uh, that's not the normal procedure, but, uh, but it works for us. And I just wanted to give you a little report of how we did last year financially, okay? You know that little number that you come in, you get your Sunday courier, you look on the back of it, and you go, wow, we'll have to do better next, next week. Uh, or, you, or you look at it and you say, man, that was good. Well, we have a goal for our offerings each, uh, each Sunday. And uh, the good news is that we went over our offering goal by 4% this last year. We, succeed, we went over the offering goal. And our regular offerings, that little number you see on the back of your courier, uh, amounted to $666,000 uh, throughout the year. Um, then uh, our total giving, our total income, all the money we collect throughout the year, amounted to one million sixty five thousand dollars the Lord sent through this church yes one million it's amazing yeah one million sixty five thousand uh, dollars our total missions and benevolence of that one million dollars was something like two hundred and twenty thousand dollars for That'd be like a mission trips, Christmas missions offering things, money that came in for missions, and so, and so. What I'm saying is, we had a really, really good year, and we want to first of all thank the Lord for that, and uh, secondly, we thank you for that, because you're the people uh, that come together in the church, uh, summer, winter, fall, and spring, and you're faithful in your giving and. And so the Lord uh, has blessed us. And, and this is, a, I'd like to thank Alicia Peterson. She's the person that sits at her computer with all these numbers all day long and uh, makes sure that all of our bills are paid on time, uh, make sure that our missionaries are paid on time. She has a big job. We appreciate what she does and uh, those who help her. So uh, this is our good report. We thank God for it. Now that's a good note to ask you to stand to receive the offering, isn't it? So let's do that. All right. And just because I gave you such a good report, <laughs> that means that we just have to step it up even more for next year. We'll have a, we'll have a new budget uh, to show you soon uh, our goals for the coming year. Dear Lord, we thank you for uh, meeting our needs. 
us, entrusting us with this money that you've given to us to give to other people. We thank you for the faithfulness of our people. Uh, week after week, uh, month after month, as they go out and work hard to make a living. And then they come to the church and they present their gifts to you so that your church can be strong uh, in the midst of our world. We thank you for this, Lord. We pray now that you'll bless each gift and each giver. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. special guest in our church and visiting family today uh, and they are passing through our church on the way to Czechoslovakia some of the people in our church can identify a little bit with that area of the world over there and so uh, let's uh, welcome Anthony and uh, Vahila and his family and he's going to come and introduce them all of them to our church let's welcome them okay Well, good morning. Uh, and uh, so you can see the crew in person. I'm going to introduce them to you. Here is uh, Sarah, Rachel, Hannah, Joshua, Isaiah, asleep, 
and my wife Jamie. And uh, as you heard, we are, we are preparing to be missionaries to the Czech Republic. We are currently on deputation, meaning that we go around churches and, and meet people and, and uh, churches to, that might support us, partner with us in the gospel. And you're one of the churches. You actually are uh, partnering with us. Uh, some of you might remember us from last year. And that uh, wonderful, generous offering you, have, you gave uh, is, uh, we're part of that offering. And so we are thankful to you and thankful for your support. Uh, if, just to give you an idea of what we are doing, we are going to the most atheistic country in the world. If you were to look at Czech Republic, it's considered that over 80%, uh, probably even more people would consider themselves agnostic, atheist. Uh, I think they lead in the charts, as far as I know, of the most atheistic country in the world. Um, it's probably due to just the general communist uh, past uh, that has been there for over 40 years. And uh, as you can hear, I'm from there. I'm actually originally from the Czech Republic, Czechoslovakia back then. And uh, after communism fell, I had the opportunity to come to the U.S. And uh, I became an exchange student. Later on, I became uh, a college student. And it was in college where I actually first heard the gospel and uh, seen the Bible for the first time. Because in my own home country, I've never had that opportunity even after communism went down. And after receiving the gospel, hearing the gospel, and hearing about Christ and uh, God saving me, uh, I realized it's a message that not one person that I ever knew has ever heard. And so I knew that God wants us to, or want me at that point, go back and uh, reach the lost people in the Czech Republic with the gospel. And in the process, He equipped me with a bunch of little evangelists and a wonderful wife. And... <laughs> really preparing us, uh, molding us into what He wants us to do. And, and our mission is essentially straight out of the book of Acts, where we're going to be church planting. We're going to church plant in a city of about 60,000 people, where there is, as far as we know, no gospel presence. Uh, so we're going to do church planting. And we are going to uh, teach leaders. Uh, in the whole country, you have about 26 Baptist churches. So if you get an idea of country size of South Carolina... 26 Baptist churches, some of them don't have pastors. And so our goal is to train new leaders, equip them so the future generations also have leaders and so that continues to be the baton, baton of the gospel passed on. And so that's cool. Uh, last year I was here, it was in the process of being, being established and this year I can tell you the school has opened in September. And so we are able to train pastors and lastly what we do, we try to equip them with literature. Communists would not let you to print anything Christian or, or publish anything Christian. And so there's a huge need for literature to equip leaders and lay people. And so we are trying to provide that through translation or just writing our own stuff. And so that's about the whole of the work that we're doing. I would love to talk to you some more. We have a sign-up table in the a, in a, in a lobby where you can see a little more about what we're doing. You can also sign up for our newsletter, which is a video format. So you get to see things uh, and hear about what we're doing. And I would love to talk to you some more. Uh, as far as our support, we are currently, we were, last night we were at 71% when I reported it. And just overnight, God continues to be faithful. And, uh, and uh, the idea of, uh, we always like to tell people, we thank God for you. That kind of brings both things together. That brings God and, and your part into one. Because it is God who works in your hearts to, to give. And so we acknowledge that. And so right now, we are at 72%, which... Uh, uh, along with the promises that we know of that might come down to us uh, in the near future, we are about $1,200 short of our monthly support to be fully funded and ready to go. So it's a great blessing God is providing, and He's showing Himself faithful. So thank you so much. And Pastor John also asked me that I bring a message to you. And so please, uh, if you open your Bible to Luke chapter 5, and we'll be in verse 27. And we will continue this theme of missions in our message this morning. Luke chapter 5, 
verse 27. We'll read the text and then we'll pray. After that, he went out and noticed a tax collector named Levi sitting in a tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he left everything behind and got up and began to follow him. And Levi gave a big reception for him in his house. And there was a great crowd of tax collectors and other people who were reclining at the table with them. The Pharisees and their scribes began grumbling at his disciples saying, Why do you eat and drink with the tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered and said to them, It is not those who are well who need a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Father God, we thank you for your word now. We do pray that we would not pause, that everything in our minds and our hearts would focus on you and your word as it never returns back void. We trust that you will use your spirit to mold our hearts, to open our eyes and our ears so that we may hear you clearly and that we may be changed by your word because that is the only way our lives can be changed as you come and transform us through renewing through your word. And so we do pray for that grace that we may be quick to listen, quick to obey. And you give me the grace to speak well, to preach your word faithfully. And that in all of this, you might be glorified. That this would be an exaltation through proclamation as your word is being preached. God, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, a while back, I had the opportunity to speak with a Czech lady, older Czech lady. And in our conversation, through our conversation, I found out that this lady went through cancer. And I also found out she was an atheist, as many of the people in Czech are. And uh, wanting to witness to her about the life in Christ, I asked her, what do you think about your cancer? Was that a good thing? And what do you think about all the, all the sickness and disease that's all around the world? And the famines? And the wars? And the wickedness that we see on a daily basis? Whether it's radio or TV. Is that a good thing? And she said, oh no, that's, that's bad. And then I asked her, now do you think this is the way the world ought to be? And she says, oh no, the, it shouldn't be like that. And then, then I asked her, now what do you think can fix that? And so we begin to have a conversation. We start talking about money. How money often, we use money to fix things. You know, money can, money can help invent uh, new medicines and provide new medicines for, for diseases that usually would kill people in ter third world countries. And so we were thinking about how money was so useful in taking care of these problems. But then we also came to realization, you know, but not every time money is helpful. There are often times when the government uses money and abuses it and exploits the people while becoming enriched itself. And so we notice that when you try to use money, there is always going to be this good, but also there will be a lot of bad with it. And so we figure maybe we can educate people more, give them, give them more education. And again, you can help tremendously to all these people around the world as you invent new ways to fight cancer or AIDS. But with education also comes a group of people who will misuse it, who will hack into computer programs, who will destroy uh, gridlocks in a, in a country. They will exploit their knowledge. They will use their knowledge to exploit others. So as you try to dep depend on knowledge to s rescue you from this horrible wickedness that you see all around, you realize knowledge doesn't, doesn't help either. There's always good but with that good, there's always this bad mix with it. And, and so we kept talking about different things we, we tried to do to fix our world. And then she finally said, you know what? I think the problem is not out there. I think the problem is, problem is inside of us. I said, you're right. There is a problem inside of us. There's a problem in our heart. Now what can fix that? 
And in our text we find what can fix that. See, the problem that she referred to was the problem that plagues us all. From the very beginning, when Adam and Eve disobeyed God, sin entered the world. Sin continued to, to be passed on through our DNA, and we continue to have a sinful hearts and education or laws or money cannot fix that. There is only one who can fix that. And we find this great physician in our text this morning. And we can simply look at the mission of Christ and see in it what he does. In verse 32, if you look at there, Jesus says, I have come, I have not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. Well, yes, we can just pause right there and say, that's the mission of Christ, that's why he came. But I think we would miss out on the amazing grace that we see in this text. See, if, we just, if I just tell you you are sick and uh, this doctor came alone and he looked at you and just do, did a few things and, and you are now fine and good to go and you're healthy, uh, you would be glad. You would be thankful to the doctor. But how much more would your appreciation and your marvel uh, at the goodness of this doctor increase if you knew that you were not just simply sick. You had a tumor. A deadly tumor, very aggressive tumor. And uh, most surgeons consider it inoperable. And then this amazing doctor showed up and with a great precision cut out this tumor and you are now healed and free. Now you would, you would think, you would think or you would appreciate what he has done a lot more because you understand the depth of your sickness and you also understand the grace and the goodness of this man who came and rescued you. Now, tumors are bathing, like this woman who went through cancer. However, there is a sickness that is far worse. Sickness that doesn't only kill us here in this time, in this world, but sickness that destroys forever, and that's sin. And its consequences are far worse than any consequences that we bear here in this, in this world. Even every single person that Jesus ever healed still died. Because unless there is a healing from this ultimate disease of sickness, there is never going to be a life eternal. And so let's look at our text this morning. And what we find, what we find in our text this morning is, is Jesus telling us what his mission is. But as he's telling us about his mission, he's actually doing two things. He's actually calling out the sinners. But he's also doing something else. What we see here is invitation of sinners. While in the same breath, Jesus also issues an indictment of the self-righteous. Now, we find Jesus walking by a tax collector's booth. But what you notice is as we look back in this chapter, this is a culmination of what is happening here. See, in the beginning of the chapter, we find Jesus walking by the sea and he sees Peter. And he goes in Peter's boat and he preaches a little and then he asks Peter to, to throw in his nets. And Peter reluctantly obeys and throws in the nets. And then there's such a miraculous sketch of fish that Peter suddenly realizes that this is no ordinary man in, with me in the boat. This is a holy man of God. And so he says something that most of us, all of us, because... In our sinfulness we do these things. Say. As the light of the goodness and the holiness of Christ shines on the darkened soul of Peter. Peter says what every one of us would say. Lord depart from me. I'm a sinner. Like roaches when you turn on the switch. They scatter. So sinners when they are faced with the glory of God. Their first inclination is to run. To flee. But Christ comes and he says. No, this is not the way you solve man's sin. You don't flee from God to solve your sin. You, you follow God to solve the sin. And so he invites Peter to follow him. And what does Peter do? He says to Peter, follow me. And Peter leaves everything that he has and follows Jesus. And then we find Jesus in another situation. And at this point, he is beginning to overstep the boundaries that are usually assigned to religious leaders. 
Because he now engages a leper. And if you know anything about leprosy, those men were often considered unclean. And they were put outside a camp so they would not infect anybody else. And any contact would create unholiness in a person who contacted them. And so what we find is amazing because Jesus not only talks to this leper, but he heals him by literally touching him. And so that stretches the minds of the Pharisees as they find out about this because this man, this leper, is later sent to be shown, to show himself to these Pharisees so that they can pronounce him clean. And later on then we find Jesus inside of a house. Everybody crowded around. Big crowd is so big that people who are bringing a, a paralytic on a stretcher cannot get in. And so they decide to dig a hole through the roof and lower the man down. And so as Jesus is teaching, here comes down a man on a stretcher. And everybody's expecting Christ to do the same thing he did with the leper, to heal him. But Jesus again steps out of what, what the expectations are. And he stretches the minds of these Pharisees even more. He throws a wrench in their theology and says, instead of be healed, he first says, your sins are forgiven. And these Pharisees know that there is only one who can make that claim, and that's God himself. And so they begin to grumble in their minds, and Jesus knows that. And so he says, he addresses that by saying, what do you think it's easier? To forgive sins or to heal? And presumably we might think it's to forgive sins because, you know, it's not verifiable. We cannot say a person is forgiven. We cannot inspect inwardly. But so that Jesus can demonstrate to these people that He indeed has the power to forgive sins. He links that forgiveness with His ability to heal. And so He looks at the man and He heals him. Stringing together this amazing declaration of who He is. I can forgive sins because I am God and let me show it to you by even healing this man. And so we begin to get a picture of a Savior who reaches those who are often considered unclean or at a lower level of society, those who are considered untouchable like the leper. And the question begins to conjure up in our minds, how low will this Savior go to rescue? How low will He stoop? And we find it in our text. Jesus is walking around and he sees a tax collector named Levi. Now who is Levi? It's Matthew, the one who wrote one of the Gospels. And he's a tax collector, which means most of the people in this country consider him a traitor. A thief, one who robs his own kinsmen. He's despised my by most of the people, except, except those who are tax collectors, just like him. In fact, often in the Gospels, tax collectors are listed right alongside of prostitutes. This man is extortionist, and so here he is, sitting in the tax booth. And Jesus comes along, and, he, and we read that he noticed him. But the word there is more than just kind of occasional glance. It is a, a gaze. This man... Is sitting in the tax booth and here comes Jesus and he is looking at him intently. He's staring Levi down. And the question must, at least when I read this, I'm thinking to myself, you know, Levi often just despised by people and here comes a religious teacher. What must be going through Levi's mind? Is he thinking, you know what, here comes another lesson. Beware to, don't be like tax collectors. There are wicked people. Because that's what he would hear all of his life. Perhaps he was hoping that Jesus might be different than all the religious leaders. We don't know what Levi was thinking, but we know one thing. When Jesus opened his mouth, Levi heard the sweetest words you can hear a Savior say. And that's what? Look in verse 27. Follow me. And immediately the response that Levi gives is the same that we find with Peter. He leaves everything. He doesn't downscale to a part-time tax booth job. He goes and quits full-time. And follows Christ, just like Peter. It's a picture that Luke continues to give us throughout the, his gospel. The picture of discipleship that is following Christ without reservation. There are no looking backs. There are no buts in discipleship. Later on in Luke chapter 9, Jesus 
gives us a picture of this when some uh, some guy comes to him and he says I will follow you but first let me say bye to my family and Jesus says you know what no one after putting his hand on the plow and looking back is worthy of me in other words discipleship is a wholehearted following after me and so as Levi now becomes a follower of Christ becomes a hard after Jesus kind of guy he throws a big party Look in verse 29. He has a big reception in his house. There's a great crowd. Now, who is in the crowd? A bunch of religious leaders, right? No. None of those would ever come. It's all his friends, his tax collectors. As the Pharisees describe it, other sinners. And so they're in the house with him. And there are, they're having a great time. They're reclining at a table. This is not a quick meal. This is not drive through sort of deal where you just come out, grab a bite to eat. This is an extended time with Jesus. This is a back room in Golden Corral, four-hour dinner, where you keep going back to the buffet, sitting back, talking, mingling around, carrying your plate along as you go. There is this great fellowship, and this doesn't sit well with the, the Pharisees. See, that we can see that in... Verse 30, the Pharisees, their scribes, they begin to grumble. And they, you know, they're pretty cowardly, so they don't grumble at Jesus directly. They kind of go around about. They grumble, they grumble to, to the disciples, sort of like when people want to complain about you, so they complain about your kids or something along those lines. And so they see Jesus having a good time with these, with these sinners, and they grumble about it. Because in their mind, you don't do that. In their mind, you do not associate with these sinners. You do not hang out with these low-level uh, scum of the society. That's not what religious leaders do. That's not how you conduct yourself. You're going to become polluted. See, in their mind, they're thinking Jesus is going to get unclean. That somehow, by Jesus being with them, He's a bird of like feather. He's going to become defiled. But as we, begin, as we see over and over, Jesus does not associate with sin by taking uh, the, un, the filthiness upon himself as much as he begins to heal and look and turn us towards the cross as we approach that. Because something amazing will happen on the cross. And so the reaction of the Pharisees just begins to show us their heart. And Jesus very simply reveals that heart of the Pharisees in the analogy that he gives. And he does that in verse 32. Sorry about that. Verse 31. It's not those who are well but who need a physician, but those who are sick. See, the Pharisees had a problem with Jesus openly mingling with sinners. But Jesus saw it differently. Jesus looked at sinners and he knew these sinners need help. Apart from me, there is no hope for them. The Pharisees were self-righteous. They thought that they could gain their righteousness on their own. And so when they would see sinners, there was no mercy in them. There was just arrogance and condemnation. And so when they saw Jesus going in and restoring and loving these people, they were indignant. And Jesus response to them and in this one response we see that mission of Christ that is to call sinners to invite sinners to repent but also in the same very same sentence Jesus also issues an indictment of those who are self-righteous see the Pharisees in the time of Christ Jesus called them the men who sat in Moses's seat which meant these men were responsible for the spiritual well-being of the nation of Israel their responsibility was to be the spiritual doctors. They were supposed to be the ones who bring the spiritual healing to the people. They were supposed to be the ones who would guide them in the truth of God. They were supposed to be the physicians who come and restore the needy. But they didn't act like physicians. They act more like the hazmat unit. They came and if they saw something unclean, they would put on all sorts of covering so they would not get defiled you look in gospel of mark you find that when they would come from market where they would potentially unknowingly perhaps come into contact with something unclean they would spend extensive amount of time just washing themselves 
getting rid of all this uncleanness because they want to be spiritually clean. And then they would also wash their pots and do all these sorts of rituals just to make sure that they are clean because they didn't want to mingle with the wicked, with the sinners, with the unholy. And the ultimate example of that, we see it in the Good Samaritan. As the man who, lies, who is laying down, beat up by robbers, bleeding. These religious leaders, these men who were supposed to be the healers, the physicians of the culture, instead of coming and rescuing and helping this man, they make a wide circle because they don't want to get dirty. They were like hazmat unit. And so for them to go and call somebody like Levi, to go and call somebody like Peter, that's beneath them. They do not call their disciples from those circles. They go after the cream of the crop. They would go to the Harvard and Cambridge, right? They would go to the nice parts of the neighborhood. They would go to Yale. They would never go to a brothel or a prison. That's beneath them. These people don't deserve to be our followers. And that's the mindset. So in this one sentence that Jesus says, I didn't come to heal those who are already healed. And those who think they are healed. Jesus is being sarcastic. Here. I came to call those who need healing to repentance. He's showing us the amazing rift that is between the true gospel and religion of self-righteousness. What we begin to see is a rift. A rift between those who think that somehow we can ourselves make ourselves good enough to approach God. Somehow that we can earn our righteousness on our own and approach God. And those who realize that they are helpless and sinful. And Jesus in one sentence is calling both of these out. He's calling out the sinner saying, come to me. Weary and laden. Come to me. I, I will remove your burden. The burden of sin. Come, for, come to me for rest. And then he in the same sentence saying, If you think you're good enough, you will never come to me. And your heart continues to be hardened. And eventually you'll die in your sin. And so Jesus, as he's taking his analogy, he's using as a bridge to issue his final statement. The mission of Christ. The mission in which he invites the sinners and he issues indictment of the self-righteous. And he says this. It is not, I have not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. Now here again we, we, hear, we hear the irony, the sarcasm in Jesus' statement. There are no righteous people. Romans 3 tells us there is not one righteous, not even one. We have all gone astray. There is no such thing as a sinless person. We have all been infected with a deadly disease, with sin. Our flesh is rotten away. We can try to manage its symptoms as hard as we can, but eventually the symptoms will be too much to bear for us and we will die because sin destroys. And so Jesus comes and He says, Come to me, all you realize that you are sinful and wretched. Come to me. Turn to me. I have provided the final remedy for your problem. I have the final healing, the final cure. Not just for you, but for your neighbor, for the nations. The final cure, the cross. Where I took upon myself the sin of the world so that you may be forgiven. So that when I rise from the grave, and as he did in Three days later, you may not only receive the forgiveness of your sin, but you may receive the righteousness of God that I have, give, I can give you so that you may stand before the Holy God pure and clean and undefiled. That is the mission of Christ. That is the mission that we as missionaries, that is the mission that the church has. Seeing the glory of Christ in the cross and in His resurrection and declaring it to the nations because that's the only hope. That's the only remedy there is. See, the tax collector didn't have to be reminded of his sin, though he, he knew it well. He was reminded of it daily by others and perhaps by his own conscience. And so he knew, I need a remedy to my sickness. And so he called out and 
he followed the great physician Jesus Christ. In one breath, Jesus is extending his saving hand to all who would come to him. And in the same breath, those who deem themselves good enough are receiving their condemnation. See, the picture of that is very well captured in Luke chapter 18. Perhaps you remember the story. It's a parable of a tax collector and Pharisee. And what do we see? It's an example. It's, it's almost a picture lesson for what we see in this text right here. We have the hypocrisy of the Pharisees and the brokenness of the sinners. And this Pharisee, this Pharisee is standing up front and he's looking to God in all pride and glory thinking, Thank you God for making me so and so. I, and he continues to boast in who he is. And then you see this picture of a, of a sinner, tax collector in the back, who would not even dare to look at heavens because he realizes the burden of his sin and the weight of his sinfulness. And he would beat his chest and says, God, have mercy on me, sinner. And what is the lesson that we find in there? At the end, we realize the man who thought who was healthy, the Pharisee who went home thinking, I am righteous and forgiven, he thought he was healthy, but the truth was what? He was sick. He was still sick and in his sin. And the man who came and laid and begged for the mercy of God, the one that realized, I am sick, I desperately need forgiveness, he's the one who went home healed. And that's the exact picture of the gospel that we have. See, the truth is that in God's economy, every one of us is sick. But some of us know it and some of us don't. Some of us don't. Some of us continue to live our lives to our last breath, denying the fact that we are sinners and we need Christ. Levi didn't have to be convinced. How about you? See, a man without Christ is sick, even though he might look healthy. A man with Christ is truly healed, even though he, he looks sick, because he is. See, man without Christ may love his family, want to do best for them. But he can never give them the best. Because Jesus is the best. And you cannot give what you don't have. And so, you may look healthy as a loving, loving kind father. But the truth is, if you don't have Christ, you're sick. A man without Christ can spend his whole life helping the poor, relieving their suffering. But without Christ, he can never address the greatest suffering that these people will face, and that's hell. And so while he may look healthy and philanthropic in, in the eyes of the world, the truth is he's sick. Now let's look inward. Man without Christ may come to church. To fulfill his religious duties, to show up on Sunday morning, to fulfill his tithes and offering, to fulfill his friendships to others. But without Christ, without faith in Christ, these are just acts of self-righteousness. And such acts only result in greater condemnation because in the process, this man thinks that he can earn God's favor. And he's in that way spitting in the face of the work of Christ on the cross. Who is the only way of righteousness? And so this man may look healthy. All polished up. But the truth is he's desperately sick. Because to be truly righteous is not to trust yourself for your righteousness. But is to trust God who alone justifies the ungodly. To be truly righteous doesn't mean you stand boastfully on the foundation that you've built yourself, but that you plant your feet on the rock of righteousness, Jesus Christ, who is the only foundation. To be truly righteous is to file a spiritual bankruptcy and then cry out to God to pay the debt which He did on the cross. And then not only that, 
that empty account that now has been paid off is now filled with His righteousness so that you can walk in a fellowship with God and be with Him forever. Because God made Him who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Praise Jesus. Let's pray. God, we do thank you for the marvelous gift you've given us, your Son. The gift above all gifts. The one who alone can redeem us from the greatest sickness that plagues us all, and that's sin. What a great joy it is to have Jesus, having our sin forgiven, and having Him as our Savior and friend. God, you are truly good to us through your Son, Jesus. And May we have this joy in our heart so that other nations may see it. May we declare it and shout it from the rooftops. May you be honored and glorified through your people, the church. We pray this in your holy, precious name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Anthony. Uh, Let's uh, remain with our heads bowed just for a minute, please. Let's all bow our heads one more time. As... uh, our instruments get in order up here. I'd like to ask you a question. You know, this opportunity that we've had today to hear this message from the Bible is is uh, pretty incredible because none of us have the promise of life tomorrow. This could be a divine appointment for you. Maybe God set this up that you come to church this morning. My question to you today is, have you filed your spiritual bankruptcy have you stood before God and said God there's nothing I can do there's nothing I have that can change me inside that can heal me on the inside Uh, I need you to step up and pay the debt for my sin I accept you as my payment I thank you for dying on the cross for my sin if you've never made uh, that declaration if you've said if you've never said Lord I I'm broke I can't make it Uh, this would be a great Sunday morning for you to do that you can walk out of this church a changed person a new person in Jesus Christ God will forgive you he will give you his forgiveness just by you calling on his name and admitting that you're broken bankrupt dear Lord we thank you so much for this message from the Bible today we pray that it will find fertile ground In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together as we sing our invitation song this morning. As we sing this song together, if you'd like to come and pray here at the altar, you just feel free to do that. Maybe you have a need on your heart, a burden you'd like to come and pray about. Just step out and come as we sing together.